Esme? Yes, Githa? It's not that I'm complaining or anything. Yes, but why isn't it me who's being the posh opera patroniser? Because you're as common as Mac, Githa. Oh. Right. Nanny subjected this statement to some thought and couldn't see any point of inaccuracy that would sway a jury. Fair enough. It's not as though I like this. Shall I do Madam's feet? said the manicurist. She stared at Granny's boots and wondered if it might be necessary to use a hammer. I got to admit it's a nice hairstyle, said Nanny. Madam has marvellous hair, said the hairdresser. What is the secret? You've got to make sure there's no newts in the water, said Granny. She looked at her reflection in the mirror over the washbasin and went to look away and then sneaked another glance. Her lips pursed. Oh, she said. At the other end, the manicurist had succeeded in getting Granny's boots and socks off. Much to her amazement, there was revealed, instead of the corned and bungeon monstrosities she'd been expecting, a pair of perfect feet. She didn't know where to start, because there was nowhere to begin. But this manicure was costing twenty dollars, and in those circumstances you damn well find something to do. Nanny sat beside their pile of packages and tried to work everything out on a scrap of paper. She didn't have Granny's gift for numbers. They tended to writhe under her gaze and add themselves up wrong. Esme, I reckon we've spent... Probably more than a thousand dollars so far, and that's not including hiring the coach, and we haven't paid Mrs. Palm for the room. You said nothing was too much trouble to help a Lankra girl, said Granny. But I didn't say nothing was too much money, thought Nanny, and then scolded herself for thinking like that. But she was definitely feeling a little lighter in the underwear regions. There seemed to be a general consensus among the artisans of beauty that they'd done what they could. Granny swivelled the chair around. "'What do you think?' she said. Nanny Og stared. She'd seen many strange things in her life, some of them twice. She'd seen elves and walking stones and the shoeing of a unicorn. She'd had a farmhouse dropped on her head, but she'd never seen Granny Weatherwax in rouge. All her normal expletives of shock and surprise fused instantly, and she found herself resorting to an ancient curse belonging to her grandmother. "'Well, I'll be mogadored,' she said. Madam has extremely good skin, said the cosmetics lady. I know, said Granny. Can't seem to do anything about it. I'll be mogadored, said Nanny again. Powder and paint, said Granny. <laughs> Just another kind of mask. Oh, well, she gave the hairdresser a dreadful smile. How much do we owe you, she said. Er, uh, thirty dollars, said the hairdresser. That is, give the wo man... <sighs> Thirty dollars, and another twenty to make up for his trouble, said Granny, clutching at her head. Fifty dollars? You could buy a shop for... Githa! Oh, all right. Excuse me, I'm just going to the bank. She turned away demurely, raised the hem of her skirt, twang, twing, twang, twang, and turned back with a handful of coins. There you go, my good wo... Uh, sir, she said sourly. There was a coach waiting outside. It was the best Granny had been able to hire with Nanny's money. A footman held open the door as Nanny helped her friend aboard. "'We'll go straight to Mrs Palm's so's I can change,' said Granny as they pulled away. "'And then to the opera house. We ain't got much time.' "'Are you all right?' "'Never felt better,' Granny patted her hair. "'Githa Og, you wouldn't be a witch if you couldn't jump to conclusions, right?' Nanny nodded. "'Oh, yes.' There was no shame in it. Sometimes there wasn't time to do anything else but take a flying leap.' 
Sometimes you had to trust to experience and intuition and general awareness and take a running jump. Nanny herself could clear quite a tall conclusion for a standing start. So I've no doubt at all that there's some kind of idea floating around in your mind about this ghost. Well, sort of an idea, yes. A name, perhaps? Nanny shifted uncomfortably, and not only because of the money bags under her skirt. I've got to admit, something crossed my mind. A kind of feeling. I mean, you never can tell. Granny nodded. Yes, it's all neat, isn't it? It's a lie. You said last night you saw the whole thing. It's still a lie. Like the lie about masks. What lie about masks? The way people say they hide faces. They do hide faces, said Naniog. Only the one on the outside. No one took much notice of Agnes. The stage was being set for the new performance tonight. The orchestra were rehearsing. The ballerinas had been herded into their practice room. In various other rooms, people were singing at cross-purposes. But no one seemed to want her to do anything. I'm just a wandering voice, she thought. She climbed the stairs to her room and sat on the bed. The curtains were still drawn, and in the gloom the strange roses glowed. She had rescued them from the bin because they were beautiful, but in a way she'd have been happier if they weren't there. Then she could have believed she'd imagined the whole thing. There was no sound from Christine's room. Telling herself that it was really her room anyway, and Christine had just been allowed to borrow it, Agnes went in. It was a mess. Christine had got up, got dressed... Either that or a thorough but over-enthusiastic burglar had gone through every drawer in the place, and gone. The bouquets that Agnes had put into whatever receptacles she could find last night were where she had left them. The others were where she had left them too, and they were already dying. She caught herself wondering where she could find some jars and pots for them and hated herself for it. It was as bad as saying poot. You might as well paint welcome on yourself and lie down on the doorstep of the universe. It was no fun at all having a wonderful personality. Oh, and good hair. And then she went and found pots for them anyway. The mirror dominated the room. It seemed to grow a little larger each time she looked at it. All right, she had to know, didn't she? Heart pounding, she felt around the edges of it. There was a little raised area that might have looked like part of the frame, but as her fingers moved across it, there was a click and the mirror swung inwards a fraction of an inch. When she pushed at it, it moved. She breathed out and stepped in. It's disgusting, said Salzella. It's pandering to the most depraved taste. Mr Bucket shrugged. It's not as though we're putting good chance of seeing someone throttled on stage on the posters, he said. But news has got around. People like drama. You mean the watch didn't want us to shut down? No, they just said we should mount guards like last night and they'd take steps. Steps to the nearest place of safety, no doubt. I don't like it any more than you do, but it's gone too far. We need the watch now. Anyway, there'd be a riot if we closed. Uh, Ark Moorpork has always enjoyed excitement. We're completely sold out. The show must go on. Oh, yes said Salzella nastily. Would you like me to slit a few throats in the second act, just so no one feels disappointed? Of course not, said Bucket. We don't want any deaths. But... The but hung in the air like the late Dr. Undershaft. Salzella threw up his hands. Anyway, I, I believe we are past the worst, said Mr. Bucket. I hope so, 
said Salzella. "'Where's Signor Basilica?' said Bucket. "'Mrs. Plinge is showing him his dressing-room.' "'Mrs. Plinge hasn't been murdered?' "'No. No one has been found dead so far today,' said Salzella. "'That is good news. Yes, and it must be, oh, at least ten past twelve, said Salzella with an irony that Bucket quite failed to notice. "'I will go and fetch him up so that we can have lunch, shall I? It must be a good half an hour since he had a snack.' Bucket nodded. After the director had gone, he surreptitiously checked his desk drawers again. There was no letter. Perhaps it was over. Perhaps it was true what they were saying about the late doctor. Someone knocked at the door, four times. Only one person could achieve four knocks without any rhythm whatsoever. Uh, come in, Walter. Walter Plinge stumbled into the room. There's a lady, he said. She's to see Mr. Bucket. Nanny Og poked her head around the door. Cooey, she said. It's only me. It's, uh, Mrs. Og, isn't it? said Mr. Bucket. There was something slightly worrying about the woman. He didn't recall her name on the list of employees. On the other hand, she was clearly around the place. She wasn't dead, and she made a decent cup of tea. So was it his worry if she wasn't getting paid? Good gracious, I'm not the lady, said Nanny Og. I'm as common as muck, me, on the highest authority. No, she's waiting down in the foyer. I thought I'd better nip round here and warn you. Er, uh, uh, warn me? Warn me about what? I don't have any other appointments this morning. Uh, uh, um, who is this lady? Have you ever heard of Lady Esmeralda Weatherwax? Um, no. Should I? Famous patron of the opera. Conservatories all over the place, said Nanny. Pots of money, too. Er, uh, really? But I'm due to, uh... Bucket looked out of the window. There was a coach and four horses outside. It had so much Rococo ornamentation on it that it was surprising it ever managed to move. Well, I, um... He began again. It is really very incon... <clears throat> she ain't the sort of person who likes to be kept waiting, said Nanny, with absolute honesty. And then, because Granny had been getting on her nerves all morning, and the initial embarrassment at Mrs. Palm's still rankled and there was a streak of mischief in Nanny a mile wide, she added, "'They say she was a famous courtesan in her younger days. "'They say she didn't like to be kept waiting then either. "'Retired now, of course. "'So they say.' "'You know, I, I visited most of the major opera houses "'and I never heard the name,' mused Bucket. "'Ah, I heard she likes to keep her donations secret.' said Nanny. Mr. Bucket's mental compass once again swung around to point due money. You'd better show her up, he said. I could perhaps give her a few minutes. No one ever gave Lady Esmeralda less than half an hour, said Nanny, and gave Bucket a wink. I'll go and fetch her, shall I? She bustled away, towing Walter behind her. Mr. Bucket stared after her. Then, after a moment's thought, he got up and checked the set of his moustache in the mirror over the fireplace. He heard the door open and turned with his finest smile in place. It faded only slightly at the sight of Salzella, ushering the impressive bulk of Basilica in front of him. The little manager and interpreter fussed along beside him like a tugboat. "'Ah, oh, uh, Signor Basilica,' said Bucket. "'I trust the uh, dressing-rooms are to your satisfaction?' 
Basilica gave him a blank smile while the interpreter spoke in Brindisian and then replied, Signor Basilica says they are fine, but the larder isn't big enough, he said. Ah, <laughs> said Bucket, and then stopped when no one else laughed. In, in, in fact, he said hurriedly, Signor Basilica will, will, I'm sure, be very happy to hear that our kitchens have made a special effort to... There was another knock at the door. He hurried across and opened it. Granny Weatherwax stood there, but not for long. She pushed him aside and swept into the room. There was a choking noise from Enrico Basilica. "'Which one of you is Bucket?' she demanded. Uh, 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 "'Me.' Granny removed a glove and extended her hand. "'So sorry,' she said. "'I am not used to important people opening their own doors. "'I am Hesmerilda Weatherwax.' How charming! I've, I've, I've heard so much about you, lied Bucket. Pray, let me introduce you. No doubt you know Signor Basilica? Of course, said Granny, looking Henry Slug in the eye. I'm sure Signor Basilica recalls the many happy times we've had in other opera houses whose names I can't quite remember at the moment. Henry grimaced a smile and said something to the interpreter. That is astonishing said the interpreter. Signor Basilica has just said how fondly he recalls meeting you many times before at opera houses that have just slipped his mind at present. Henry kissed Granny's hand and looked up at her with pleading in his eyes. My word, thought Bucket, that look he's giving her. I wonder if they ever... Oh, uh, and, and, and this is uh, Mr Salzella, our, our director of music, he said, remembering himself. Honoured said Salzella, giving Granny a firm handshake and looking her squarely in the eye. She nodded. "'And what's the first thing you'd take out of a burning house, Mr Salzella?' she inquired. He smiled politely. Uh, "'What would you like me to take, madam?' She nodded thoughtfully and let go of his hand. "'May I <laughs> get you a drink?' said Bucket. "'A small sherry,' said Granny. Salzella sidled up to Bucket as he was pouring the drink. Who the hell is she? Apparently she's a, she's a rolling in money, whispered Bucket, and very keen on opera. Never heard of her. Well, Signor Basilica has, and that's good enough for me. Make yourself pleasant to them, will you, while I try to sort out lunch. He pulled open the door and tripped over Nanny Og. Sorry, said Nanny, standing up and giving him a cheerful grin. These doorknobs are a bugger to polish, aren't they? Uh, Mrs... Uh, Og, Og, could you run along to the kitchens and tell Mrs Clamp there will be another one for lunch, please? Right you are, Nanny bustled away. Bucket nodded approvingly. What a reliable old lady, he thought. It wasn't exactly a secret. When the room had been divided, a space had been left between the walls. At the far end it opened onto a staircase, a perfectly ordinary staircase, which even had some grubby daylight via a dirt-encrusted window. Agnes was vaguely disappointed. She had expected, well, a real secret passage, perhaps with a few torches flickering secretly in rather valuable secret wrought-iron holders. But the staircase had just been walled off from the rest of the place at some time. It wasn't secret. It had merely been forgotten. There were cobwebs in the corners. The cocoons of extinct flies hung down from the ceiling. The air smelled of long-dead birds but there was a clear track through the dust. Someone had used the stairs several times. She hesitated between up and down and headed up. 
That was no great journey. After one more flight, it ended at a trapdoor that wasn't even bolted. She pushed at it and then blinked in the unaccustomed light. Wind caught at her hair. A pigeon stared at her and flew away as she poked her head into the fresh air. The door had opened out onto the opera house's roof, just one more item in a forest of skylights and air shafts. She went back inside and headed downwards and became aware, as she did so, of the voices. The old stairs hadn't been totally forgotten. Someone had at least seen their usefulness as an air shaft. Voices filtered up. There were scales, distant music, snatches of conversation. As she went down, she passed through layers of noise like a very carefully made Sunday of sound. Grebo sat on top of the kitchen cupboard and watched the performance with interest. Use the ladle, why don't you? said a scene shifter. It won't reach, Walter? Yes, Mrs. Clamp. Give me that broom. Yes, Mrs. Clamp. Grebo looked up at the high ceiling, to which was affixed a sort of thin, ten-pointed star. In the middle of it was a pair of very frightened eyes. Plunge it into boiling water, said Mrs. Clamp. That's what it said in the cookbook. It never said, watch out, it'll grip the sides of the pot and spring straight up in the air. She flailed around with the broom handle. The squid shrank back. And that pasta's all gone wrong, she muttered. I've had it grilling for hours and it's still hard as nails. The wretched stuff. Cooey, it's only me, said Nanny Og, poking her head around the door, and such was the all-embracing nature of her personality that even those who didn't know who she was took this on trust. Having a bit of trouble, are you? She surveyed the scene, including the ceiling. There was a smell of burning pasta in the air. Ah, she said, this would be the special lunch for Signor Basilica, would it? It was meant to be, said the cook, still making ineffectual swipes. Blasted thing won't come down, though. Other pots were simmering on the long iron range. Nanny nodded towards them. What's everyone else having, she said. Mutton and clouty dumplings with slum pie, said the cook. Ah, good honest food, said Nanny, speaking of wall-to-wall -wall suet oiled with lard. And there's supposed to be jammy devils for pudding, and I've been so tied up with this wretched thing I haven't even made a start. Nanny carefully took the broom out of the cook's hands. Tell you what, she said, you make enough dumplings and slum pie for five people, and I'll help by knocking up a quick pudding. How about that? Well, that's a very handsome offer, Mrs. Og. The jam's in the jar, but... Oh, I won't bother about jam, said Nanny. She looked at the spice rack, grinned, and then stepped behind a table for modesty. Twing, twang, twong, twang. Got any chocolate? she said, producing a slim volume. I've got a recipe right here that might be fun. She licked her thumb and opened the book at page 53. Chocolate delight with special secret sauce. Yes, thought Nanny, that would be fun. If people wanted to go around teaching people lessons, other people should remember that those people knew a thing or two about people. Scraps of conversation floated out of the walls as Agnes wound her secret way down the forgotten stairs. It was thrilling. No one was saying anything important. There were no convenient guilty secrets. There were just the sounds of people getting through the day. But they were secret sounds. It was wrong to listen, of course. Agnes had been brought up in the knowledge that a lot of things were wrong. It was wrong to listen at doors, to look people directly in the eye, to talk out of turn, to answer back, to put yourself forward. But behind the walls, 
She could be the Perdita she'd always wanted to be. Perdita didn't care about anything. Perdita got things done. Perdita could wear anything she wanted. Perdita X knit, mistress of the darkness, Magdalene of cool, could listen in to other people's lives and never ever have to have a wonderful personality. Agnes knew she should go back up to her room. Whatever lay in the increasingly shadowy depths was probably something she ought not to find. Perdita continued downwards. Agnes went along for the ride. The pre-luncheon drinks were going quite well, Mr Bucket thought. Everyone was making polite conversation and absolutely no one had been killed up to the present moment. And it had been very gratifying to see the tears of gratitude in Signor Basilica's eyes when he was told that the cook was preparing a special Brindisian meal just for him. He seemed quite overcome. It was reassuring that he knew Lady Esmeralda. There was something about the woman that left Mr Bucket terribly perplexed. He was finding it a little difficult to converse with her. As a conversational gambit, hello, I understand you have a lot of money, can I have some, please, lacked, he felt, a certain subtlety. Uh, um, so, uh, <laughs> madam, he ventured, what uh, uh, brings you to our um, city? I thought perhaps I could come and spend some money, said Granny. Got rather a lot of it, you know. <laughs> Keep having to change banks because they get filled up. Somewhere in Bucket's tortured brain, part of his mind went whoopy and clicked its heels. I'm sure if there's uh, anything I can do, he murmured. As a matter of fact, they're his, said Granny. I was thinking of... A gong banged. Ah, said Mr Bucket, uh, luncheon is, is served. He extended his arm to Granny, who gave it an odd look before remembering who she was and taking it. There was a small, exclusive dining-room off his office. It contained a table set for five, and looking rather fetching in a waitress's lacy bonnet, Nanny Og. She bobbed a curtsy. Enrico Basilica made a tiny strangling noise at the back of his throat. "'Excuse me, there's been a bit of a problem,' said Nanny. "'Who's dead?' said Bucket. "'Oh, no one's dead,' said Nanny. "'It's the dinner. "'It's still alive and hanging on to the ceiling.' "'And the pasta's gone all black, see? "'I said to Mrs Clamp, I said, "'It may be foreign, but I don't reckon it should be crunchy.' "'This is terrible. Uh, "'What a way to treat an honoured guest,' said Bucket. "'He turned to the interpreter. "'Please uh, <laughs> assure Signor Basilica "'that we will send out for fresh pasta straight away. Uh, "'What were we having, Mrs Ogg?' "'Roast mutton with cloutey dumplings,' said Nanny.' Behind the face of Signor Basilica, the throat of Henry Slug made another little growling sound. And there's some nice slum pie with a knob of butter, Nanny went on. Bucket looked around, puzzled. Uh, is there a dog somewhere in here? he said. Well, I for one don't believe in pandering to singers, said Granny Weatherwax. Fancy food indeed. I never heard the like. Why not give him mutton with the rest of us? "'Oh, uh, uh, Lady Esmeralda, that's uh, <laughs> hardly a way to treat—' uh, Bucket began. Enrico's elbow nudged his interpreter, with the special nudge of a man who could see Clutie dumplings vanishing into the long grass if he weren't careful. He rumbled out a very pointed sentence. "'Signor Basilica says he would be more than happy to taste the indigenous food of Ankh-Morpork,' said the interpreter. 
No, we, we, we really can't, Bucket tried again. In fact, Signor Basilica insists that he tries the indigenous food of Ark Morpork, said the interpreter. Is it right? See, si, said Basilica. Good, said Granny, and give him some beer while you're about it. She gave the tenor's stomach a playful poke, losing her finger down to the second joint. Why, in a day or two, I expect you could practically turn him into a native. <laughs> the wooden stairs gave way to stone. Perdita said, He'll have a vast cave somewhere under the opera house. There will be hundreds of candles casting an exciting yet romantic light over the, yes, the lake, and there will be a dinner table shining with crystal glass and silverware, and of course he will have, yes, a huge organ. Agnes blushed hotly in the darkness, on which, that is to say, he will play in a virtuoso style many operatic classics. Agnes said, It'll be damp, there'll be rats. Another clouty dumpling, senior, said Nanny Og. Mm, mm. Take two while you're about it. It was an education watching Enrico Basilica eat. It wasn't as though he gobbled his food, but he did eat continuously, like a man who intends to go on doing it all day on industrial lines, his napkin tucked neatly into his collar. The fork was loaded while the current consignment was being thoroughly masticated, so that the actual time between mouthfuls was as small as possible. Even Nanny, no stranger to a metabolism going for the burn, was impressed. Enrico Basilica ate like a man freed at last from the tyranny of tomatoes with everything. "'I'll order another mint sauce tanker, shall I?' she said. Mr Bucket turned to Granny Weatherwax. You were saying that uh, you, you might be inclined to patronise our opera house, he murmured. Oh, yes, said Granny. Is Senior Basilica going to sing tonight? <laughs> I hope so, muttered Salzella. That or explode. Then I shall definitely want to be there, said Granny. A little more lamb here, my good woman. Yes, ma'am said Nanny Og, making a face at the back of Granny's head. Uh, uh, seats for tonight are, are, are in fact, uh, Bucket began. A box would do me, said Granny. I'm not fussy. In fact, even the box is... Uh... How about box eight? I've heard as box eight is always empty. Bucket's knife rattled on his plate. Um, box eight, <laughs> box eight, um, well, you see, we, we don't, um, I was thinking of donating a little something, said Granny, but uh, box eight, you see, although technically unsold, two thousand dollars was what I had in mind, said Granny, oh dear me, your waitress has let her dumplings go all over the place, it's so difficult to get reliable and polite staff these days, ain't it? Salzella and Bucket stared at one another across the table. Then Bucket said, Excuse me, my lady, I must just have a brief discussion with my director of music. The two men hurried to the far end of the room where they began to argue in whispers. Two thousand dollars, hissed Nanny, watching them. It might not be enough, said Granny. They're both looking very red in the face. Yes, but two thousand dollars? It's only money. Yes, but it's only my money. Not only your money, Nanny pointed out. 
We witches have always held everything in common, you know that, said Granny. Well, yes, said Nanny, and once again cut to the heart of the socio-political debate. It's easy to hold everything in common when no one's got anything. Why, Githarog, said Granny, I thought you despised riches. Right, so I'd like to get the chance to despise them up close. But I knows you, Githarog, money'd spoil you. I'd just like the chance to prove that it wouldn't, that's all I'm saying. Hush, they're coming back. Mr Bucket approached, smiled uneasily and sat down. Uh, <clears throat> he began. It uh, has to be box eight, does it? Only we could perhaps persuade someone in one of the other... <laughs> Wouldn't hear of it, said Granny. I've heard that there's no one ever seen in box eight. <laughs> it's uh, laughable, I know, but there are some um, old theatrical traditions associated with box eight. Absolute rubbish, of course. But he left the butt hanging there, hopefully. It froze in the face of Granny's stare. You see, it's um, haunted, he mumbled. Oh, lorks, said Nanny Og, vaguely remembering to stay in character. Another vat of slumpies in your basilica, and how about another quart of beer? Mmm, said the tenor encouragingly, taking time out from his eating to point a fork at his empty mug. Granny went on staring. Excuse me, said Bucket again. He and Salzella went into another huddle, out of which came sounds like, But two thousand dollars, that's a lot of shoes. Bucket surfaced again. His face was grey. Granny's stare could do that to people. Uh, um, because of the uh, <laughs> the uh, danger, uh, which of course doesn't exist, <laughs> we, uh, that is the uh, management, feel it incumbent on us to insist, that is, politely request, that if you do enter Box 8, you do so in company with, 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 um, with, with a man. He ducked slightly. A man, said Granny, for, for, for protection, said Bucket in a little voice. Although who'd protect him, we really couldn't say, said Salzella under his breath. We, we, we thought perhaps we were one of the staff, Bucket mumbled. Hey, I'm quite capable of finding my own man, should the need arise, said Granny in a voice with snow on it. Bucket's polite reply died in his throat when he saw just behind Lady Esmeralda Mrs. Ogg grinning like a full moon. Anyone for pudding, she said. She held a big bowl on a tray. There seemed to be a heat haze over it. My word, he said. That looks delicious. Enrico Basilica looked over the top of his food with the expression of a man who has had the amazing privilege of going to heaven while still alive. It was damp, and with the demise of Mr. Pounder, there were indeed rats. The stone looked old, too. Of course, all stone was old, Agnes told herself, but this had grown old as masonry. Ark Morpork had been there for thousands of years. Where other cities were built on clay or rock or loam, Ark Morpork was built on Ark Morpork. People constructed new buildings on the remains of earlier ones, knocking out a few doorways here and there to turn ancient bedrooms into cellars. The stairs petered out on damp flagstones in almost total darkness. Perdita thought it looked romantic and gothic. Agnes thought it looked gloomy. If someone used this place, they'd need lights, wouldn't they? And a fumbling search confirmed it. 
she found a candle and some matches tucked into a niche in the wall. That was sobering for Agnes and Perdita together. Someone used this prosaic book of matches with a picture of a grinning troll on the cover and this piece of perfectly ordinary candle. Perdita would have preferred a flaming torch. Agnes didn't know what she would have preferred. It was just that if a mysterious person came and sang in the walls and moved around the place like a ghost and possibly killed people, well, you'd prefer a bit more style than a box of matches with the picture of a grinning troll on it. That was the sort of thing a murderer would use. She lit the candle and, in two minds about it all, went on into the dark. Chocolate Delight with Special Secret Sauce was a great success, and heading down the little red lane as though hot-wired. More, Mr. Salzella, said Bucket. This really is first-class stuff, isn't it? I, I must congratulate Mrs. Clamp. There is a certain piquancy, I must say, said the director of music. How about you, Signor Basilica? <coughs> Lady Esmeralda? I don't mind if I do, said Granny, passing her plate across. I'm sure I detect a hint of cinnamon, said the interpreter, a brown ring around his mouth. Indeed, and, 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 and possibly just a, a trace of nutmeg, said Mr. Bucket. I thought cardamom, said Salzella. Creamy, yet, yet spicy, said Bucket, his eyes unfocused slightly, and, and curiously warming. Granny stopped chewing and looked down suspiciously at her plate. And then she sniffed at her spoon. Is it, uh, is it, is it just me, or, or, or is it a trifle <laughs> uh, warm in here, said Bucket. Salzella had gripped the arms of his chair. His forehead glistened. Do you think we could open a window, he said. I feel a little strange. Yes, by all means, said Bucket. Salzella half rose, and then a preoccupied expression suffused his features. He sat down suddenly. No, I, I rather believe I'll just sit quietly for a moment, he said. Oh dear, said the interpreter. There was a hint of vapour around his collar. Basilica tapped him politely on the shoulder, grunted hopefully, and made pass-it-here motions in the direction of the half-finished dish of chocolate pudding. Mm hmm, he said. Oh dear, said the interpreter. Mr. Bucket ran a finger around his collar. Sweat was beginning to roll down his face. Basilica gave up on his stricken colleague and reached across in a businesslike way to hook the dish with his fork. Uh, uh, yes, said Bucket, trying to keep his eyes away from Granny. Yes, indeed, said Salzella, his voice coming from a long way away. Oh, dear, said the interpreter, his eyes watering. I'm Nidis Diomio, or gotten suk Signor Basilica upended the rest of the special secret sauce onto his plate and carefully scraped out the dish with his spoon, holding it upside down to reach the last little bit. The weather has been a, a little oh, cool of late, Bucket managed. Very, very cold, in fact. Enrico held the sauce dish up to the light and regarded it critically in case there was any drop hiding in a corner. Snow, ice, frost, that sort of thing, said Salzella. Yes, indeed. Coldness of all descriptions, in fact. Yes, yes, said Bucket gratefully. And at a time like this, I think it is very, very important to uh, remember the names of, say, any number of boring and hopefully chilly things. 
wind, glaciers, icicles. No, oh, not icicles. Oh, said the interpreter, and slumped forward into his plate. His head hit a spoon, which cartwheeled into the air and bounced off Enrico's head. Salzella started to whistle under his breath and pound the arm of his chair. Bucket blinked. In front of him was the water jug. The cold water jug. He reached out. Oh, 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 dear me, what can I say? I, I, I seem to have spilled it all over myself, he said, through the rising clouds of steam. What, what a butterfingers I am, to be sure. I, I, I shall ring for Mrs. Ogg <laughs> to bring us another one. Yes, indeed, said Salzella, and perhaps you would care to do it soon? I am also feeling very accident-prone. Basilica, still chewing, lifted his interpreter's head off the table and carefully tipped the man's unfinished pudding into his own plate. "'In fact, in fact, in fact,' said Salzella, "'I think I shall just have a brisk, have a nice cold. <clears throat> "'If you would excuse me a minute.' "'He pushed back his chair and fled the room in a kind of crouching gait. "'Mr. Bucket glistened. "'I'll just, um, I'll just, <laughs> I'll just uh, be back quite shortly,' he said, and scurried away. There was silence, broken only by the scrape of Signor Basilica's spoon and a sizzling noise from the interpreter. Then the tenor belched baritone. Whoops! Oh, <clears throat> pardon my clatchian, he said. Oh, damn! He appeared to notice the depleted table for the first time. He shrugged and smiled hopefully at Granny. <sighs> Is there a cheese board, do you think? he said. The door flew open and Nanny Og burst in, holding a bucket of water in both hands. All right, all right, that's... she began and then stopped. Granny dabbed primly at the corners of her mouth with her napkin. I'm sorry, Mrs. Og, she said. Nanny looked at the empty dish in front of Basilica. Oh, or perhaps some, some fruit, said the tenor. A few nuts. How much has he had? she whispered. Best part of half, said Granny, but I don't reckon it's having any effect on account of not touching the sides. Nanny turned her attention to Granny's plate. How about you, she said. Two helpings, said Granny, with extra sauce. Githa og may you be forgiven. Nanny looked at her with something like admiration in her eyes. You ain't even sweating, she said. Granny picked up her water glass and held it at arm's length. After a few seconds... The water began to boil. All right, you're getting really good, I've got to admit it, said Nanny. I reckon I should have to get up real early to put one over on you. I reckon you should never go to sleep, said Granny. Sorry, Esme. Signor Basilica, at a loss to follow the conversation, realised with reluctance that the meal was probably over. Eh, absolutely superb, he said. I just love that pudding, Mrs Ogg. "'I should just jolly well expect you did, Henry Slug,' said Nanny. Henry carefully removed a clean handkerchief from his pocket, put it over his face, and leaned back in his chair. The first snore occurred a few seconds later. "'He's easy to have around, isn't he?' said Nanny. "'Eat, sleep, and sing. You certainly know where you are with him.' "'I've found Grebor, by the way. He's still following Walter Plinge around.' Her expression became a little defiant. Say what you like, young Walter's all right by me if Grebo likes him. Granny sighed. Githa, Grebo would like Norris the eyeball-eating maniac of Quirm if he knew how to put food in a bowl.
and now she was lost. She'd done her best not to be. As Agnes had walked through each dank room, she'd thoughtfully taken note of details. She'd carefully remembered right and left turns, and yet she was lost. Here and there were steps down to lower cellars, but the water level was so high that it was lapping at the first step, and it stank. The candle burned with a greenish-blue edge to the flame. Somewhere, said Perdita, there was the secret room. If there wasn't a huge and glittering secret cavern, what on earth was life for? There had to be a secret room, a room full of giant candles and enormous stalagmites. But it certainly isn't here, said Agnes. She felt a complete idiot. She'd gone through the mirror looking for... Well, she wasn't quite prepared to admit what she might have been looking for, but whatever it was, it certainly wasn't this. She'd have to shout for help. Of course, someone might hear, but that was always a risk when you shouted for help. She coughed. Ahem. <clears throat> uh, hello? The water gurgled. Uh, help? Is there anyone there? A rat ran over her foot. Oh, yes, she thought bitterly, with Perdita's part of her brain. If Christine had come down here, there probably would have been some great glistening cave and delicious danger. The world saved up rats and smelly cellars for Agnes because she had such a wonderful personality. Um, anyone? More rats scuttled across the floor. There was a faint squeaking from the side passages. Hello? She was lost in some cellars, with the candle getting shorter by the second. The air was foul, the flagstones were slippery. No one knew where she was. She could die down here. She could be... Eyes glowed in the darkness. One was green-yellow, the other pearly-white. A light appeared behind them. Something was coming along the passageway, casting long shadows. Rats tumbled over themselves in their panic to get away. Agnes tried to press herself into the stone. Hello, Miss Perdita X Knit. A familiar shape jutted out of the darkness just behind Grebo. It was all knees and elbows. It carried a sack over one shoulder and held a lantern in its other hand. Something fled from the darkness. The terror leached out of it. You don't want to be down here, Miss Knit, with all the rats. Walter. Got to do Mr. Pounder's job now. The poor man has passed away. I am a person of all jobs. No peas for the wicked. But Mr. Grebo just hits them with his paws and they're off to rat heaven in a jiff. Walter, repeated Agnes out of sheer relief. Come for an explore, have you? These old tunnels goes all the way to the river. You have to keep your wits about you not to get lost down here. Want to come back with me? It was impossible to be frightened of Walter Plinge. Walter attracted a number of emotions, but terror wasn't among them. Er, uh, yes, said Agnes. I got lost. Sorry. Grebo sat down and started to wash himself in what Agnes considered to be a supercilious way. If a cat could snigger, he would be sniggering. Now I've got a full sack, I have to take it to Mr Gimlet's shop, announced Walter, turning around and loping out of the cellar without bothering to see if she was following him. We get a halfpenny each, which is not to be sneezed at. The dwarfs think a rat is a good meal, which only goes to show it would be a strange world if we were all alike. It seemed a ridiculously short journey to the foot of some different stairs, which had a well-used look to them. 
Have you ever seen the ghost, Walter? said Agnes, as Walter put his foot on the first step. He didn't turn around. It is wrong to tell lies. Uh, yes, so I believe. So, when did you last see the ghost? I last saw the ghost in the big room in the ballet school. Really? What did he do? Walter paused for a moment, and then the words came out altogether. He ran off! He stamped up the stairs in a way that suggested very emphatically that the exchange was over. Grebo sneered at Agnes and followed him. The stairs went up just one flight and came out through a trapdoor backstage. She had been lost only a door or two from the real world. No one noticed her emerge, but then no one noticed her at all. They just assumed that she'd be around when she was needed. Walter Plinge had already loped off, in something of a hurry. Agnes hesitated. They probably wouldn't even notice she wasn't there, right up to the point when Christine opened her mouth. He hadn't wanted to answer, but Walter Plinge spoke when spoken to, and she had a feeling that he wasn't able to lie. Telling lies would be being bad. She'd never seen the ballet school. It wasn't far backstage, but it was a world of its own. The dancers issued from it every day like so many very thin and twittering sheep, under the control of elderly women who looked as though they breakfasted on pickled limes. It was only after she'd timidly asked a few questions of the stagehands that she'd realised that the girls had joined the ballet because they'd wanted to. She had seen the dancers' dressing room, where thirty girls washed and changed in a space rather smaller than Bucket's office. It bore the same relationship to ballet as compost did to roses. She looked around again. Still no one had paid any attention to her. She headed for the school. It was up a few steps, along a fetid corridor lined with notice boards and smelling of ancient grease. A couple of girls fluttered past. You never saw just one. They went around in groups like mayflies. She pushed open the door and stepped into the school. Reflections of reflections of reflections. There were mirrors on every wall. A few girls practising on the bars that lined the room looked up as she entered. Mirrors. Out in the passage, she leaned against the wall and got her breath back. She'd never liked mirrors. They always seemed to be laughing at her. But didn't they say it was the mark of a witch not liking to get between two mirrors? It sucked out your soul or something? A witch would never get between two mirrors if she could help it. But of course, she very definitely wasn't a witch. So she took a deep breath and went back into the room. Images of herself stretched away in every direction. She managed a few steps, then wheeled around and groped for the doorway again, watched by the surprised dancers. Lack of sleep, she told herself, and general overexcitement. Anyway, she didn't need to go right into the room, now that she knew who the ghost was. It was so obvious. The ghost didn't require any mysterious non-existent caves, when all he needed to do was hide where everyone could see him. Mr Bucket knocked at the door of Salzell's office. A muffled voice said, Come in. There was no one in the office, but there was another closed door in the far wall, Bucket knocked again and then rattled the door handle. I'm in the bath, said Salzilla. Are you decent? I'm fully clothed, if that's what you mean. Is there a pail of ice out there? Was it you who ordered it? said Bucket guiltily. Yes. Only I, uh, <laughs> I had it taken into my office so I could uh, stick my feet in it. Your feet? Yes, uh, I went for a brisk run around the city. <laughs> Don't know why. Just felt like it. Well... My boots, um, well, caught fire on the second lap. There was a sloshing noise and some sotto voce grumbling, and then the door swung open, revealing Salzella in a purple dressing gown. 
Has Signor Basilica been safely tethered? he said, dripping on the floor. He's going through the music with her trouble marker. And he's uh, all right? He uh, sent along to the kitchen for a snack. Salzella shook his head. Astonishing. And they've put the interpreter in a cupboard. They don't seem to be able to get him unfolded. Bucket sat down carefully. He was wearing carpet slippers. And, Salzella prompted, and what? Where did that dreadful woman go? Mrs. Ogg is showing her round. Well, what else could I do? I mean, two thousand dollars, remember? I am endeavouring to forget, said Salzella. I promise never to talk about that lunch ever again, if you don't either. <laughs> what lunch? said Bucket innocently. Well done. She does seem to have an amazing effect, though, doesn't she? I don't know who you're talking about. I mean, it's not hard to see how she made her money. Good heavens, man, she's got a face like a hatchet. They say that Queen Azariel of Clatch had a squint, but that didn't stop her having fourteen husbands. And that was only the official score. Besides, she's knocking on a bit. I thought she'd been dead for two hundred years. Oh, I'm talking about Lady Esmeralda. So am I. At least uh, try to be civil to her at the soiree before the performance tonight. I'll try. The two thousand might only be the start, I hope. Every time I open a drawer, there are more bills. We seem to owe money to everyone. Opera is expensive. You are telling me, whenever I try to make a start on the book, something dreadful happens. Do you think I might just have a few hours without something awful happening? In an opera house? The voice was muffled by the half-dismantled mechanism of the organ. All right, give me a middle C. A hairy finger pressed a key. It made a thudding noise, and somewhere in the mechanism something else went boing. Blast, it's come off the peg. Hold on, try again. The note rang out, sweet and clear. OK, said the voice of the man hidden in the exposed entrails of the organ. Wait until I tighten the peg. Agnes stepped closer. The hulking figure seated at the organ turned around and gave her a friendly grin, which was much wider than the average grin. Its owner was covered in red hair, and while short-changed in the leg department, had obviously been the first in the queue when the arm counter opened, and had also been given a special free offer of lip. Andre, said Agnes weakly. The organist extracted himself from the mechanism. He was holding a complicated wooden bar with springs on it. Oh, hello, he said. Uh, who's this? said Agnes, backing away from the primeval organist. Oh, this is the librarian. I don't think he has a name. He's the librarian at Unseen University, but much more importantly, he's their organist, and it turns out our organ is a Johnson, just like theirs. Burkholt Stutley bloody stupid Johnson, was Ankh Morpork's most famous, or rather most notorious, inventor. He was renowned for never letting his number blindness, his lack of any skill whatsoever, or his complete failure to grasp the essence of a problem stand in the way of his cheerful progress as the first counter-Renaissance man. Shortly after building the famous collapsed Tower of Quirm, he turned his attention to the world of music, particularly large organs and mechanical orchestras. Examples of his handiwork still occasionally come to light in sales, auctions, and quite frequently wreckage. He's given us some spare parts. Oh. Sorry, uh, lent us some spare parts. He plays the organ in an amazingly prehensile way, yes. 
Agnes relaxed. The creature didn't seem about to attack. Oh, she said. Well, I suppose it's natural, because sometimes barrel organ men came to our village and they often had a dear little monk. There was a crashing chord. The orangutan raised its other hand and waved a finger politely in front of Agnes's face. He doesn't like being called a monkey, said Andre, and he likes you. How can you tell? He doesn't usually go in for warnings. She stepped back quickly and grabbed the boy's arm. Can I have a word with you, she said. We've only got a few hours and I'd really like to get this. It's important. He followed her into the wings. Behind them, the librarian tapped a few keys on the half-repaired keyboard and then ducked underneath. I know who the ghost is, whispered Agnes. Andre stared at her. Then he pulled her further into the shadows. The ghost isn't anybody, he said softly. Don't be silly. It's just the ghost. I mean, he's someone else when he takes his mask off. Who? Should I tell Mr Bucket and Mr Salzella? Who? Tell them about who? Walter Plinge. He stared at her again. If you laugh, I'll, I'll kick you, said Agnes. But Walter isn't even... I didn't believe it either, but he said he saw the ghost in the ballet school and there's mirrors all over the walls and he'd be quite tall if he stood up properly and he roams around in the cellars. Oh, come on. The other night I thought I heard him singing on the stage when everyone else had gone. You saw him? It was dark. Oh, well, Andre began dismissively. But afterwards I'm certain I heard him talking to the cat. Talking normally, I mean. I mean like a normal person, I mean. And you've got to admit, he is strange. Isn't he just the sort of person who'd want to wear a mask to hide who he is? She sagged. Look, I can see you don't want to listen. No, no, I, I think, well, I just thought I'd feel better if I told someone. Andre smiled in the gloom. I wouldn't mention it to anyone else, though. Agnes looked down at her feet. I suppose it does sound a bit far-fetched. Andre laid a hand on her arm. Perdita felt Agnes draw herself back. Do you feel better, he said. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I just can't imagine him hurting anyone. I feel so stupid. Everyone's on edge. Don't worry about it. I'd hate you to think I was being silly. I'll keep an eye on Walter if you like, he smiled at her. But I'd better get on with things, he added. He gave her another smile, as fast and brief as summer lightning. Thank you. He was already walking back to the organ. This shop was a gentleman's outfitter's. It's not for me, said Nanny Og. It's for a friend. He's six foot tall, very broad shoulders. Inside leg? Oh, yes. She looked around the store. Might as well go all the way, it was her money after all. Under black coat, long black tights, shoes with them shiny buckles, one of those top hats, a big cloak with a red silk lining, a bow tie... A really posh black cane with a very knobby silver knob on it, and uh, a black eye patch. An eye patch? Yes, maybe with sequins or something on it, since it's the opera. The tailor stared at Nanny. This is a little irregular, he said. Why can't the gentleman come in himself? He ain't quite a gentleman yet. But, madam, I meant that we have to get the size right. Nanny Og looked around the shop. Tell you what, she said, you sell me something that looks about right and we'll adjust him to fit. Excuse me, she turned away demurely. 
twing, twang, twong, and turned back, smoothing down her dress and holding a leather bag. How much will it be? she said. The tailor looked blankly at the bag. I'm afraid we won't be able to have all that ready until at least next Wednesday, he said. Nanny Og sighed. She felt she was becoming familiar with one of the most fundamental laws of physics. Time equaled money. Therefore, money equaled time. I was sort of hoping to get it all a bit quicker than that, she said, jingling the bag up and down. The tailor looked down his nose at her. We are craftsmen, madam. How long did you think it should take? How about ten minutes? Twelve minutes later, she left the shop with a large packet under one arm, a hat box under the other, and an ebony cane between her teeth. Granny was waiting outside. Got it all? Yes. I'll take the eye patch, shall I? We've got to get a third witch, said Nanny, trying to rearrange the parcels. Young Agnes has got good, strong arms. You know, if we was to drag her out of there by the scruff of her neck, we'd never hear the last of it, said Granny. She'll be a witch when she wants to be. They headed for the opera house's stage door. Afternoon, Les, said Nanny cheerfully as they entered. Stop itching now, has it? Marvellous bit of ointment that was you gave me, Mrs Ogg, said the stage doorkeeper, his moustache bending into something that might have been a smile. Mrs Les keeping well? How's her sister's leg? Doing very well, Mrs Ogg. Thank you for asking. This is just Esme Weatherwax who's helping me with some stuff, said Nanny. The doorkeeper nodded. It was clear that any friend of Mrs Ogg was a friend of his. No trouble at all, Mrs Ogg. As they passed through into the dusty network of corridors, Granny reflected, not for the first time, that Nanny had a magic all of her own. Nanny didn't so much enter places as insinuate herself. She had unconsciously taken a natural talent for liking people and developed it into an occult science. Granny Weatherwax did not doubt that her friend already knew the names, family histories, birthdays and favourite topics of conversation of half the people here, and probably also the vital wedge that would cause them to open up. It might be talking about their children, or a potion for their bad feet, or one of Nanny's really filthy stories, but Nanny would be in, and after 24 hours they'd have known her all their lives. And they'd tell her things, of their own free will. Nanny got on with people. Nanny could get a statue to cry on her shoulder and say what it really thought about pigeons. It was a knack. Granny had never had the patience to acquire it. Just occasionally she wondered whether it might have been a good idea. Curtain up in an hour and a half, said Nanny. I promised Giselle I'd give her a hand. Who's Giselle? She does makeup. You don't know how to do makeup. I distempered our privy, didn't I? said Nanny. And I paint faces on eggs for the kiddies every soul cake Tuesday. Got anything else, have you? said Granny sarcastically. Open the curtains. Fill in for a ballet dancer who's been taken poorly. I did say I dealt with the drinks at the soiree, said Nanny, letting the irony slide off like water on a red-hot stove. Well, a lot of the stuff have buggered off because of the ghost. It's in the big foyer in half an hour. I expect you ought to be there, being a patroniser. What's a soiree? said Granny suspiciously. It's a sort of posh party before the opera. What do I have to do? Drink sherry and make polite conversation, said Nanny. Or conversation, anyway. I saw the grub being done for it. They've even got little cubes of cheese on sticks and stuck in a grapefruit. And you don't get much posher than that. Gitter Og, you ain't done any special dishes, have you? No, Esme, said Nanny Og meekly. 
Only you've got an imp of mischief in you. Been far too busy for anything like that, said Nanny. Granny nodded. Then we'd better find Grebo, she said. You sure about this, Esme? said Nanny. We might have a lot to do tonight, said Granny. Maybe we could do with an extra pair of hands. Paws. At the moment, yes, 